everybody. Welcome to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up with no twists. And how's everybody doing out there this evening, Thursday, March the 23rd, 2017? And we have a loaded show for you this evening. Back by popular demand, we will close the, the show with our ringside with Jeff Bumpus segment. Jeff will join us uh, to discuss the big boxing uh, events of uh, this past weekend, and there were a lot. We'll be speaking with Amir Hardcore Mansoor, Larry Fryers, Joey I, and Zach Ramsey a little bit later on. So let's recap what we saw this past weekend. The action started hot and heavy on St. Patrick's Day on Friday. The New York City Madison Square Garden Theater was electric for the debut of Michael Conlon, and he was victorious in his pro debut against Tim Ibarra. Other fighters of note, uh, Larry Fryers, of course, who we will be talking with later on. Other fighters of note, Alex Cicito won in an impressive fashion, TKO2 over Johnny Garcia, and Tiafimo Lopez knocked out Daniel Bastin in two rounds. Tiafimo was on here a couple of weeks ago, and I had the pleasure of seeing him in person. And uh, with all due respect to all the other fighters on there and all the winners performed well, this guy is a little bit of a notch above. I mean, uh, you know, when we, we see when he gets in there, we're a little bit tougher competition, but all the skills are there. And that brings me to Conlon, because Conlon was in there with a guy that was terrible made for him. No real resistance, uh, just was moving around, didn't really offer any offense. And, uh, you know, he was there to make Conlon look good. And Conlon uh, welcomed the moment. This guy is a showman, uh, and he appears to have skills, even in an intense moment uh like this pro debut, adrenaline has got to be rocking. And he he was poised. He was a little wild with the right hand, but he was able to go downstairs to the body. He even switched uh, to the left-handed stance uh, for a, a time being. So, uh, I, you know, I, I wrote that in my review for Max Boxing, who I covered the fight for. And I think that might have gotten lost on a lot of the boxing pundits that this guy, uh, yeah, he was wild with the right hand. Yeah, he was hopping. Yeah, he had the extra long ring walk with the bagpipes, the St. Patrick's Day celebration, all of that. But he was poised enough to go downstairs. He was uh, poised enough to back his guy into the ropes. And, uh, you know, until we see him against Tumber competition, we don't know exactly what we have in Michael Conlon. But we know what we can have in Michael Conlon, and uh, we want to see more from him. And uh, that was not the only action of Friday night. And in all due respect, that was not the best action of Friday night. Uh, In Reading, Pennsylvania, there was a stellar card. Our friend Steve Cunningham got back on track with a unanimous decision victory in six rounds over Felipe Romero. Uh, Now, this fight was not televised, but the Bounce TV uh, Broadcast did show some highlights, and it showed Stephen putting a pretty good uh, whipping on Mr. Romero. So a good unanimous decision victory, six rounds, and Cunningham looks to get back on track. Uh, the television uh, portion of Mounts TV was pretty good. Jordel Booker won a unanimous decision over Mo- Mo- Moshe Alim, uh, a pretty good uh, six-rounder there. Kermit Sinchon and David Grayton uh, fought to a draw. Headbutt put a, a halt to the fight. And uh, a lot of people were giving Cintron heat for quitting again. I mean, I mean, if you looked at this objectively, I mean, I mean, uh, David Grayton put on his best Mustafa Ham show <laughs> imitation. He, he was pretty dirty in there, rabbit punches, kidney punches. You can make a solid case for the headbutt being intentional. So to give Cintron a hard time to have to deal with that, and I thought he was doing pretty well, uh, you know. I just don't know. I would not say he quit, obviously. Uh, you just don't know what would have happened if it went on. It looked like uh, Grayton was uh, getting the momentum, but uh, he was being so dirty in there without really much warnings. I, I mean, this guy it seemed like he was getting away with a lot of uh, fouls. TV uh, commentators didn't really pick on, on it too much. I mean, Steve Cunningham did... Uh, talk about the severity of rabbit punching, but at what point uh, do you do something more than what the referee did? So uh, I would not give Cintron a hard time on that one. And obviously the main event, we're going to talk to Mansoor in uh, just a few minutes. He was uh, fabulous in his unanimous 
uh, this no majority decision victory. Sorry, it was not a unanimous decision victory. Uh, should have been, I think, but uh, nonetheless, Mansoor wins a, slug, a slugfest over Travis Kaufman, and obviously the big. Uh, pay-per-view, the one we'll get really in-depth with, with Mr. Bumpus a little bit later on. Triple G wins uh, close but unanimous decision over Danny Jacobs. I thought that it was the right decision. I thought Triple G, although didn't tantalize, he won. He won clearly, and by that I mean he won by a round or two. Best case you could make for Jacobs, in my opinion, is a draw in terms of rounds, six apiece, but the knockdown gives Triple G the edge. Um, and Soron Visay and Gonzalez, Chocolatito Gonzalez, we had two fight of the year candidates this past weekend with Mansur Kaufman and Soron Visay and uh, Gonzalez. Soron Visay wins a controversial majority decision, 114-112 twice on his side, 113-113, uh, called by Waleska Roldan, uh, who Michael Buffer erroneously referred to as a he I mean, Michael Buffer and his brother Bruce have not been having uh, great times as of late as announcers. His brother Bruce is uh, the announcer for the UFC fights, and, and they've been botching in different ways uh, a lot of calls. I mean, and I've had Amy Hayes on here years ago, and uh, she gave her side of how uh, Michael Buffer was not too keen on uh, women doing the jobs that he does. So you wonder how much respect he has for a female judge in Walesco Rodin since he didn't even know she was a female. And then obvious, and the other fight I wanted to talk about briefly was Carlos Quadros and uh, David Carmona, but uh, I, I think the Cern Visay-Gonzalez fight could have went either way. I, if Gonzalez was given the decision, I would have not complained at all, but uh, I don't think Cern Visay got uh, an erroneous decision. A lot of people are thinking Gonzalez got robbed. The cut was obviously a big factor. We're going to have Joey I on uh, in a little bit to discuss uh, the cut. But uh, Quadros, Carmona, and I think it was the overall theme of, I think, the HBO announcers having a really terrible night. Now, I get on HBO's crew a lot. I gave them credit. I thought they did a pretty good job with their televised doubleheader that featured uh, uh, Vargas uh, and and uh, the Japanese fighter. I'm not going to try and say his name right now. I'll butcher it. Uh, I thought they did a pretty good job on that telecast horrendous on the pay-per-view and they were talking about Carlos Quadros like he was the offspring of Carlos Palomino and Julio Cesar Chavez and as I'm watching this fight I'm waiting to see this guy actually appear I thought he was very lucky to get a unanimous decision I thought it was a very close fight and a solid pugilist no doubt but not even close to the guy that the HBO crew was hyping. I, I just don't know what they were watching there. But hey, sometimes they, they got to do that. They got to hype up their guy. It was clear. And, you know, and with, uh, <laughs> well, with Gonzalez losing, they, 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 you know, they were talking about who could be the pound for pounder. Is it any surprise that they named all HBO fighters as the new pound for pounders? So I don't know, but uh, I just don't. I mean, Quadros is not a bad fighter. Don't get me wrong, but uh, was not in keeping with the, what they were talking about the, the skills that I saw anyway. So overall, overall, a very interesting weekend in boxing. Uh, the the sad part about it is that the the Triple G Jacobs pay per view numbers are back, and they don't seem to be too good. That does not bode well for Triple G in any Canelo negotiations. Oscar De La Hoya is going to milk that A side. And if Canelo, uh, I mean, if Triple G, rather, is going to take this fight, he's going to have to agree to a seriously small percentage. And, uh, you know, if it's a business and Canelo does great with the Chavez pay-per-view numbers, and he probably will, they even have a stronger uh, negotiation power there. And the other thing I want to talk about before we get to Mansoor is the the shameful hacks that covered Conlin. I mean, how? And I'm not, you know, whatever. But the fact that they were all over Conor McGregor, and the only reason why they gave a damn about Conor McGregor is it was this Floyd Mayweather garbage. I mean, it was shameful and. They, and after the fight on, you know, the announcers interviewed Conlon, interviewed McGregor, and obviously brought the fight up. 
And, you know, McGregor gave a very quick answer and then said, you know, this is Michael Conlon's night, and it should have been the end of it. But all of these big pub mainstream guys uh, tweeting about questions they were asking, quotes from McGregor afterwards still acting. I mean, that was not the time for it. And since when uh, most of those boxing, Kevin Iola is probably the only – uh, guy who does both boxing and MMA, to, uh, the big ones of these boxing guys hate the MMA. Now all of a sudden, Conor McGregor is a person of interest to you. Uh, why? Because he's part of the biggest scam of all time to rob the fans of their money, and you're not reporting it, and you're trying to report it as, as something legitimate. Why? So you could people, so people could run to your Twitter feed to see that you talk to Conor McGregor. Yay for you, you freaking hack. All of you, anybody who went up to McGregor and tried to ask him a question about Mayweather, after McGregor clearly said that this was Michael Conlon's night, is nothing but a hack, and you should be all should be ashamed of yourselves. I got that off my chest. All right, let's take a quick break, and hopefully we'll have a mere hardcore man saw on right after this. talk and we have the man who just won arguably one of the best heavyweight fights in the last 10 years or so automatic fight of the year candidate on St. Patrick's Day thrilled the fans in Pennsylvania with a majority decision win over Travis Kaufman a a, a fight where he was coming back from a, a major injury and looked fabulous Amir Hardcore Mansour, welcome to the show. Hey, man, how you doing, man? Thank you all for having me. Oh, thank you. Pleasure is all ours. And uh, first of all, congratulations and thank you for uh, giving us such great entertainment and uh, risking your health, well-being, life in doing so. We really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Appreciate you guys as well. 
And uh, I want to talk about how you looked at the beginning of the fight. Now, I did not really investigate what you weighed as compared to what you did in the past. But you looked a lot healthier. You looked thinner. You looked uh, a little bit more, a little bit more bounce on your on your feet. You looked overall spry compared to some of the other fights I've seen you in. Did you weigh a lot less for this fight? Because you looked like you were in much better shape. No, I actually weighed a lot more. Um, when I fought Joey DeWaco a couple of years ago, um, about three weeks into the um, prior to the fight. I got food poisoning. Mm-hmm. And so it was three weeks prior to the fight. I caught food poisoning. It was very bad. And I kept training. And I shrunk down to 198 pounds. And I lost a lot of muscle. Like when I fought Joey, everybody thought, wow, he's in shape. He's cut up. He did a wonderful camp. They didn't know. I right. was sick. So long story short, ever since then, it's been hard for me to put that weight back on because I lost a lot of muscle. And um, I made some changes in my eating habits. I made some changes in my life. I made some changes in location. Went down to D.C. And um, about four or five months, man, I put some nice weight back on. I got up to like 235. And then... um, Went back down to around 224, 225, which I weighed in, you know, for the fight. And and just did a lot of things during training camp differently and just felt really healthy, man, really fresh. All right. And it certainly looked that way. I mean, you were fighting uh, well in all aspects. You were giving a good lateral movement. You were fighting well backing up. Uh, when it became a little bit more close quarters, I thought you were getting the better of it as well. I thought the tensest moment for you early in the fight. I think it was the second round. They hit you with a big left hook. Uh, looked like it staggered you momentarily. You reacted and recovered well from it. But it certainly looked like one of the hardest punches you got hit with in the early part of that fight. Uh-huh. Well, um, I can't say it wasn't. Uh, really, the hardest I've ever been hit, man, was by Gerald Washington, man. That joker hits hard. And uh, Dominic Gwynn was the hardest I feel like I ever been hit. Um, that caught me off guard, that shot. It was a hard shot, though. Don't get me wrong. It was a very hard shot. Uh, he had those Grant gloves on, man, very tight-fitting, snug-fitting gloves. And those things are like Reyes gloves, man. They do the work, man, you know. Um, that was one of the um, mis- uh misinformed things about this fight going into this fight. Um, I didn't find out it was 12 rounds until Tuesday. And then to turn mm. around, the day we pick out the gloves, I got these big, fluffy Everlast gloves, and he got mm. these tight, little, small Grant gloves. Mm-hmm. And um, But everything played into my favor because the extra two rounds and me having those big pillowcases on my hands, changed my um, design of the fight, changed my strategy. And so it was like, you know what? I'm not even going to risk trying to knock somebody out with these big old fluffy gloves. I'm going to give these guys a look that they've never seen before. I'm going to dance around, use my jab, use my speed. And he's the same height as me. So he was, and I knew he was going to move forward. So I knew he was going to be there every time, you know, I decided to attack. Hello, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, it sounds like you were given uh, the classic B-side treatment. He was the house guy and all of that, uh, you know, with the with the gloves and all. That sounds like what you're describing to me. Uh, when the yeah. bell rang, uh, and were you worried at all about you, you getting the short end of the decision? I know that's happened to you in uh, previous fights. Well, yeah, I obviously was worried about the decision, man. But one thing I did have tremendous faith in was Pennsylvania Boxing Athletic Commission. You know, Philadelphia, man, is notorious for legendary fights. Um, it, It used to be one of the boxing meccas of the country. And one thing about Philadelphia is that even historically, you don't hear about a lot of robberies. And our commission, you know, the boxing commission chooses the judges. A lot of people don't know that. And um, the boxing commission there, you know, they understood that I was going to be on the B side. They understood that my opponent's father was, um, you know, part of the promotional team promoting that fight. 
And so they did an excellent job, man, in choosing judges that would not be biased and would remain, you know, mutual. Yeah, and with that uh, decision, a lot of uh, cries of robbery came from Kaufman after the fact. At at, at the fight, post-fight interview, he didn't seem too bitter about the decision, but he he certainly on social media was expressing that he felt he got robbed. Now, it was documented during the the fight that you guys had a bit of a grudge match in between the social media war, whatever you want to call it. Did uh, you get to speak to him after the fight, and uh, and how do you want to address his claims of him, him being robbed? Um, honestly, me and Travis spoke uh, several times since the fight on the phone. He called me up, you know, he called me up and let me know, no hard feelings, man, we're friends, you know what I'm saying? And um, I called him back, you know, again, we actually spoke on the phone yesterday. Um, he posted some things on his Facebook page. He did say that um, one of the judges' scores he felt like, you know, was unjustified, but he was like, you know, he can live with that decision and that it you know, he feel like it probably could have went either way or whatever. But, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, man, when you get in that ring and you do all you can do and you know you gave it your all, you know, and you're in that ring fighting, you know, sometimes it takes for you to go back and look at the fight to see whether or not you won or lost, you know. And I emphasize won or lost and emphasize right, won. Right, right, right. <laughs> Again, W-O-N, you know. And so – um you know, I think that once he had a chance to look at the fight, you know, he may have um, had different, you know, a different uh, outtake on it or whatever outlook on it. But you know, I don't, I don't let that bother me, man. Yeah, no, it's not your problem, <laughs> certainly. Exactly. But uh, in terms of moving forward, I, I mean, I, I would imagine the phone has been ringing constantly for you since the victory. Uh, what are your plans for the next couple of ones? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of big possibilities out there for you. Well, here it goes, man. Um, when we uh, decided to fight for this title, you know, they explicitly, you know, said that, you know, the winner will get a shot at the title, you know. And we already know guys that I've fought have went on to fight for the title. Um, this is the same situation that me and Brazil had. He won the fight. He went on fought for the title. Me and him only fought 10 rounds. This was a 12-round elimination bout. And so I'm supposed to be fighting for the title, you know, um, not still searching, you know, or looking for that big day, you know. So hopefully, you know, my guys and, and, and Wilder guys will get together and hopefully he wins this uh, rematch against the Vern. Or maybe he don't fight Severn. I don't know if it's a done deal yet, you know. But if it is, you know, hopefully, man, I'm in line for that. Meanwhile, you know, I will move on and defend this title against, you know, whoever they put in front of me. Okay, so uh, while it does have a mandatory with Severn, are you saying that you're willing to take another uh, fight before waiting to get that potential winner if it doesn't happen where Wilder decides to fight you first? So who do you think yeah. you might defend your title against? What are the possible names? Well, they actually, they, we actually heard some things about uh, Amir Mansour and Travis Kaufman rematch. You know, we've heard some things about that. And so maybe maybe that will be on the undercard of Wilder and Severn. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's really too right, early right, to right. tell which way I'm going to go. Just mm-hmm. know this, man. You know, I've never turned down the fight except one time, which was a rematch with uh, Gerald Washington, and I turned it down because I didn't feel like, you know, the the pay offer was um, reasonable, uh, a decision that I, albeit reluctantly, uh, regret. Mm-hmm. But um, it is what it is. And, um, you know, whoever they put in front of me, man, you know, that's who I'm going to fight, man. You know, that's why you don't see me with the tune-up fight fighting the t- tomato can. You never see me do that, you know, 25 mm-hmm. professional fights. I've never fought, you know, the tomato can route. I've always, you know, the last past, what, maybe 10 or ten fights maybe been, you know, pretty decent big fights or pretty tough competition. Right, right, right. You know, so yeah, I don't want to. Definitely. Um, yeah, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want the little warm-up tomato can fight, man. You know, I, I, I'm a boxing fan, you know, so I like putting on big shows. I like putting on fights where, 
when you match opponent against opponent, you really don't know who's going to win. That's what keeps this sport alive and keeps it exciting, man. Definitely, definitely. And you mentioned the Brazil fight, a, a fight that you were dominating, and then you suffered uh, a bad injury. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to bring back such bad memories, but mm-hmm. talk a little bit about uh, you know that injury, yeah. uh, how you felt afterwards, the well, long process with you recovering yeah. and coming back. Uh, give us a little bit of yeah. a, a synopsis of all that. Let me tell you. I, I went in the training camp. End of July, right? I fought Gerald Washington October the uh, 13th. Me and Gerald Washington for October the 13th. A week and a half later after Gerald Washington, I went right back into training camp because I was going to fight Archer Spicker December the 12th. When Klitschko lost his title, they called us around December the 6th and said, Spicker's out, you're going to fight Brazil. Okay, let's fight Brazil um, December the 12th. Then they said, Brazil's out. Do you want to fight Wilder? I said, yes. They said, okay, they're going to send the contract. Well, I don't know what happened from that time until the point where then, because Spicker even um, posted on his uh, tweet, he tweeted that Amir is going to fight Wilder, not me, because it was between me or Spicker who he was going to fight. So obviously he chose to fight Spicker and pay Spicker four hundred and fifty more thousand dollars than I was going to get paid, and he fought Spicker. So then me and Brazil was going to fight the June sixth on the undercard of Wilder. Mind you, I'm still in camp. I'm still going hard. Then mm-hmm. they changed me and Brazil fight from January sixth to January twenty third. So with an exception of a week and a half, I'm in training camp the end of July all the way up to January 23rd. I looked in shape. I felt in shape. But mentally, I was drained. Mentally, I was just fucking freaking burnt out. Excuse my language, but it's the truth, you know. And um, Right, right, right. I just wasn't there mentally. Now, skill-wise, of course, I was winning the fight on all judges' scorecard. I had won every round except... One judge gave him round five, but I won all rounds and I had a knockdown. So all I had to do was survive the last four rounds without getting knocked out, and I would have won. In the second round, I jumped down on my tongue so hard that I clipped both sides of my tongue, from the tip of my tongue all the way into the back, which eventually Mm -hmm. required 18 stitches on each side. Well, 19 on one side, 18 on another side. And, um... I'm swallowing blood from the second round moving forward. I'm swallowing so much blood, man, that they had to pump my stomach. They had to um, not pump my stomach. They had to induce vomiting to get all that Mm. stuff up out of me. A lot of it had um, some of it, not a lot, because a lot can kill you. I didn't know that swallowing blood can kill you. I didn't know that. You know, when you're bleeding like that and you're breathing all hard, you're inhaling blood, too, and that that can kill you. Um, I was messed up, man. Physically, I was just in a terrible shape even, you know, a couple weeks after the fight. And um, maybe about 10 days before the Brazil fight, I was in a car accident, and I fractured my cheek. And the minute he hit me in that cheek, it just it caved right on in. And um, and I'm making no excuses, mind you. I'm making no excuses. At the end of the day, he was getting his butt handed to him, and he stayed in mm-hmm. there, man. And, and and sometimes that's how you got to be. You know, you got to take the good with the bad mm-hmm. in that ring because you never know. One of your punches can affect the guy. You know, in the heavyweight division, one punch can determine the outcome. So, anyway, you know, and at, at, at the end of round five, the doctor comes in the corner. Now, mind you, from round two all the way on, I'm barely breathing, man, because when I inhale, I'm just swallowing and choking on blood. And at the same time, I'm trying to hide it because I don't want my opponent to see, you know, how much blood is, is, is really in my, you know, how much blood is in my mouth, you know, and how, right, how that right. hurts. Mm-hmm. So the doctor comes in my corner after round um Five, he says, listen, you have uh, you have a lot of blood, and this is all on tape. He says, you have a lot of blood coming out of your ears, both ears. 
and you could this could be brain damage, Amir. I'm wary, you know. And mm-hmm. with him saying that to me and everything else, man, coupled with that, you know, we chose to call it quits, you know. And um, honestly, uh, dealing with that and dealing with everything, um, prior to the Kaufman fight, I would rather have died that night than had agreed to stop the fight. But, mm. you know, having moving forward and, and being okay and, and, and winning another title and, you know, putting myself back in contention, I know that I made the right decision. So I made the right, right decision, you know what I mean? Or maybe I can say I made the wrong decision for all the right reasons. You know what I'm saying? It really uh, depends hey. on mm-hmm. how you want to look at it and from yeah. what angles, you know. But I, I just stopped, man. Like, literally, I have not watched that fight yet. Um, the thought of it sickens me. Uh, I literally cried from January to probably around December. Like, every time I thought about it, I literally cried like a baby. And um, anyway, moving forward, after the Brazil fight, we were going to fight Oscar Rivas July 25th. So me and Brazil fought January 23rd. By uh, mid-April, I was back in training camp, ready to fight July 17th on the Wilder undercard against Oscar Rivas. But he ended up failing his eye exam, and that's how I got the offer to rematch with Gerald uh, Washington. But it just didn't, the money wasn't there, you know, and, and I turned that down. Right, right. Well, I, I totally understand you not want to watch that fight again. But, Amir, I'm surprised for you to say that. And I, I say that because I think I saw a, a big adjustment in the fight with Kaufman where you shortened up on your shots a lot more and you were a lot more accurate. Whereas when you had Brazil tr- in trouble, you were winging for the fences and you were missing a lot of clean shots that I think would have gotten you an early knockout. And in this fight, you were much shorter with your punches and much more accurate uh, in watching the fight. So was, did you make a conscious effort to do that? I mean, you never had Kaufman in yeah. as much trouble as you had Brazil, but it was certain, yeah. I, I certainly saw a difference in how you were, uh, you were loading up a lot less on your shots. Well, the reality of that fight against Kaufman versus Brazil and Washington and uh, Price, you know, these big, tall guys, the reality of that is Travis Kaufman is my height, and Brazil is way up there, and he's very tall, hard to reach. Travis Kaufman right, is my right, height. Right. The the style that I fought Travis Kaufman in is a style that I could never fight Brazil with. I can't out jab a six seven six five guy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Good point. I can't. Good point. I can't, yeah. You know, I can't fight a guy from the outside that's six five six seven. You know, so styles calls for different um, styles. You know, uh, and and different sizes and heights calls call for different styles. Now I will say, I could have had that temperament against Brazil. I could have been a lot more calmer. And so we did work on me being calm and not, you know, if I hurt the guy, don't go all out. And really with those big soft gloves I had on, knockout wasn't even on my radar, to be honest with you. I thought that those gloves I had were just too soft. Right. And I knew right. that Travis had a good chin because of his fight with uh, Chris Ariola. Right, and that tenth, the twelfth round with uh, Kaufman was one of the best we've seen in years. That that, that was tremendous, and, and I thought you uh, took most of the rounds in the second half to make it a, a, a pr- not a hard, not an easy fight, but a pretty easy fight to score in favor of yourself. Right. Well, we knew that Kaufman and um, especially Nazim. Nazim was uh, you couldn't have paid Nazim to say that I wasn't going to run out of gas, especially them knowing that I didn't know it was a 12-rounder, so they know I was training for 10 rounds. So they obviously thought I was going to run out of gas. But it's a whole different ball game when you're fighting a guy that's your height, your reach, right, right there right. in front of you, versus fighting a guy that every step he takes, you got to take two. He take one step, you got to take two steps. You know what I mean? You go to punch him, you know, you got to go up and reach, you know, and it's just a different, it's just a totally different world, totally different ball game, which is why they got and received a totally different world from from me. They they got a style that they never could um, prepare for. Right. 
But what would you have done differently had you uh, prepared for a 12-rounder? I wouldn't have took off two rounds. Somewhere in there, I haven't even watched the fight yet, but somewhere in there, I took off two rounds. Um, I wouldn't have took off two rounds. Um, I would have right. um, pressed him a lot more. I would have been on the attack a lot more. I wouldn't have um, done so much dancing. Um, a few times, I did watch a few clips here and there, and I could have been closer landing my shot, you know. I, I wouldn't have been um, so hesitant to step on the gas pedal. All right, and uh, we're coming to a close. Uh, Amir Hardcore Mansour, thank you very much uh, for your time. Last question I have for you, and I think maybe the most amazing thing out of all of this is that incredibly you're 44 years old, and mm-hmm. you look nothing close to it. <laughs> What's your secret? <laughs> um, you got to eat healthy. You have to eat healthy. And um, ah, I'm out. Not I'm to out. be verbose. If <laughs> if I got a couple seconds, let me tell you this. Yeah, I go was, ahead. When I was doing prison time, there was an old guy, man. He was about, I'm going to say this fast, too. He was about 60 years old. And he would outrun everybody on the track. Not in those sprints, but long distance. And I asked him, man, how in the world? And he was cut up like me. I mean, ripped up. How do you do this? How old are you? He said, for one, I stopped counting my birthday about 40 years ago. And he was one of those old-timers that had been locked 30 years or whatever, whatever. And so he said he stopped counting his birthdays, and he don't think about getting old. He said he literally does not think about getting old. He does not allow his mind to tell his body that he's getting old. And I swear to you, I started doing that. I started thinking that way, and... I don't know if that's working. I mean, come on. I do have good genetics. You got to have great genetics. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But at the same time, man, I don't allow myself to get old. I don't celebrate birthdays. Um, I literally have to stop and think. And the only reason why I know I'm 44 is because I'm always hearing my age because of what I do for a living. But um, I stop. You know, I don't eat a lot of beef. You know, mm-hmm. I eat beef when I'm getting ready to fight, but other than that, right. I eat a lot of fish, a lot of lot of fish, a lot of chicken, a lot of turkey, a lot of vegetables. Mm-hmm. I don't eat a lot. I don't pick out. Um, I don't um have sex a lot. I don't um you know I don't abuse you know alcohol and stuff like that. You know, no, right. I just try and live no. a good life, man. I just try and live a good life. You know, you have to take care of your body, man. Yeah, thank you for those tips. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned it about 20 times during the telecast how old you are. And yeah, every time they yeah, said it, I was like, yeah. no way. That's got to be, be a mistake. But uh, Amir Hardcore Mansour, pleasure as always. Can't wait to see you fight again. Uh, I've watched your fight with Travis about three times already. Great thrills. Thank you. <laughs> Now's the time for some uh, closing remarks. Uh, you know, give, Plug any social media or anything else you want the fans to know about you. Uh, yeah, now's yeah. the time. I'm um, Amir Hardcore Mansour on uh, Facebook, um, Hardcore Mansour on Twitter, Hardcore Mansour on Instagram. And um, at the end, man, thank everybody for tuning in. A lot of people watch me on TV. I love it. I get real high ratings. And, and, and I wish I could meet every single one of you personally. I really do. And please understand that I'm humbled and very grateful for all of you guys' support. And thank y'all, man, for having me on. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you for coming on. Amir, hardcore, man. So you have a good rest of your evening. All right, man. Take care. God bless, man. Thank you. Same, same, same. All right. Good stuff there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have on Larry Friars, who was in action the same night as Amir in New York City right after this. One week before the fight, Foster is seen here training. This could be Bob's toughest title defense in the four years that he's been World Light Heavyweight Champion. Foster won the title with a spectacular one-punch KO over Dick Tiger in New York City four years ago. Since winning the title, Bob has remained very active. He has had 17 fights since becoming the champion and has stayed in virtual constant training. Many experts attribute Bob's crushing power to the way he snaps his punches in whip-like fashion. 
This will be the eighth title defense for the 30-year-old Foster, who tonight will go against a younger opponent, 25-year-old WBA light heavyweight champion, Vincent. Serious trouble. Does not appear to have much left at all. Frazier moving in now. So what an act of sportsmanship on Frazier's part. He eased up and let Buckner go down. The, no, the nose area now is starting to bleed again on Buckner's part. Joe trying to get it away. If you can knock him down, you are not saved by the bell. And there is no three knockdown rule. A man in London can go down six or seven times. And if he comes back to his feet, and now it is Joe Frazier who appeared to buckle a little bit. And Buckner came back with a right hand. Did he slip or was he hurt? Did Frazier walk into a right hand? Now the trainer comes in. Now the referee separates and nobody heard the bell here in Iran's head, including myself, as they continue to fight. Now, what happened to Joe Frazier? Was he hurt by that right hand? This is the first replay as Frazier comes in with that left hook right on the point of the jaw. Gone absolutely from the falling. Frazier comes away from him as Harry Gibbs comes in. At that point, it looked like Bumner was absolutely finished. Over in Joe Buckner's corner. They're working him over, talking to him, telling him, Joe Frazier was hurt near the end of that round when he tried to put you away. That was sensational. It looked as if the bell was never going to go. And Andy Smith, uh, Bumner's manager, the little fella, came running in the ring. So did young Durham as well. They were both looking pretty worried. The referee didn't hear the bell. We didn't hear it ringside, and certainly the fighters didn't. But now we're going to start round 11, and we've got two fighters in the world. All righty, welcome back to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up with no twist. And a special thanks again to Amir Hardcore Mansoor, and uh, the hits keep on coming with Blog Talk Radio. I'm having trouble calling uh, Larry. I had a little trouble calling Amir, and that was resolved. Uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I'm having trouble calling Larry. I uh, sent him a message to see if he can call me, and I'm waiting to hear back from him. But this is, uh, you know, it's getting to be one calamity after the other each week, and I'm pretty much doing all of this uh, by myself. So when there is a technical difficulty, it's like a lot of dead air and just nothing going on. And then uh, when people listen to it, they might get tired and say, ah, I don't want to hear this. So they lose patience. But uh, we're trying to get uh, Larry on. As I just wanted to update you with that. I'm waiting to see if he could call me. So we'll, uh, you know, play it like that. And uh, a little later on tonight, we have a, a good boxing card. Uh, on ESPN2 to look forward to it. So it starts at 10 p.m. right when the show ends. So we'll look forward to that. So we'll see. Uh, I'll see if I can get uh, Larry Fryers on momentarily, and uh, we'll go from there right after this. No, Cam, tell us at what point the fight is ended. But anyway, it is another knockout for Marvin Hagler. He scored 36 knockouts now in 47 fights. He's won 44, lost two with one draw, and it is. Here's the announcement. Unable to continue the winner by a knockout in the seventh round, Marvis, Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler, and they have decided that the knockout was in the seventh round because the sixth now round has other. Hagler making fight. a speech up there. I believe that you will follow his assistant. I can't hear what he's saying he with the crowd yelling. Hagler's got the microphone, the and he's making some speech. All right. He has... Come on, Hugo Powell. I'm ready. I'm ready, Hugo Powell. Come over and repeat what you said for uh, television. I want Hugo Carl. I've been fighting all the best in the world right now. Now I know that I'm ready for Hugo Carl. Nobody has stopped Wooly Warren. The man is tough. He fought Benny Briscoe, fought Seals, he fought Ed DeFormio. I can't figure how they get a shot with Ed DeFormio in there before me. But I'm looking for Hugo Carl because I believe the man's a sissy. And I'll tell it to his face if I can find him. The man's a sissy. That's what I have to say. I'd like to say thanks to all my fans who come down and to all my fans in New Jersey, my son in New Jersey, my grandmother, and to the rest of the world out there. 
I will be the next middleweight champion. I'll tell you this much. You fought like a champion. You That's threw right everything right. at him. He's tough. He's tough, as you Nobody know. Nobody this man. That's right. And you stopped him right there. That's right. Now. I wanted to put his lights out, though. Can you contain the frustration of not getting a title shot and oh, keep yeah. it going? Keep oh, it yeah. going for yourself. Oh, yeah. Till I get Hugo Carl. That's my destiny. I wanted Valdez before the old man today. Ain't no reason why Valdez should have had a return match. It wasn't in the clause. He should fight a good ranking champion like myself, the number one contender in the world. That's who he should fight. Hope you get the chance. Thank you. Marvin, great fight. We'll return to the Boston Garden after this word from your local station. And the technicalities are troubling us like you've never seen. Uh, Larry just texted me. Uh, he said that he tried calling the number I gave him, the call-in number, 515-605-9732, and there was no answer. So I'm not sure what is going on. But once again, uh, it is not good. So uh, I'm going to see if I can get... Joey I to call in to see if it's working. Uh, if I can't call anybody and nobody could call me, it's going to be a short night, folks. <laughs> uh, you know, we got the Mansour interview going, which is great, but uh, I got three other guests, plus Jeff Bumpus scheduled in uh, crawling here, and I have no idea what is going on. I'm not allowed the feature to call the guests seems to have me having trouble and then I refresh the page that doesn't work right now how's this for a stimulating podcast you know you guys want to hear about boxing not this nonsense and Larry just texted me that he tried to call the number and nothing nothing doing so let's see let's try I'm going to try Larry again he's calling me now on my cell hello Hi, yeah, Larry, this is my cell number, so we can't do the interview this way. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm trying to call you through the show, and the number's not going through. And you said you tried calling me and it, on the number I gave you, and there was no answer. 515. Yeah, I'm not sure. So we can't do the interview on my cell phone because nobody could hear it. Uh so I'm gonna try dialing your number again through the through the uh, through the show and hopefully it'll work. Yes. Got it. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Alrighty, so we'll try calling him again. So you heard the uh, my part of the conversation with Larry, and uh, I'm not sure what to do here. I'm trying to call, and it's just this feature is not working, the call feature. And he's saying he can't seem to call me. Wonderful. So I have to get to the bottom of this. This is like the third week in a row we've had a show, and uh, 
there's some kind of uh, calamity here. And I, I thought I had everything resolved. But uh, and things went well with Amir. Got, got him on the phone, so I don't know what's happening. So now Joey I is texting me, and he's telling me nothing is going through. So I'm texting him back. This is fun, right? So I'm texting, asking Joey what happens when he calls. So I don't know if it's my computer or if it's blog talk. I mean, uh, the rest of the show features seem to be working fine. I'm talking. I was able to hear Amir. He was able to hear me. I could hear my switchboard. See, a little bit of the labels pop. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. Um, might have to call it quits for tonight if I can't get anything going. Maybe if I hang up and recall, and maybe that'll work. Well, let's try that, folks. <laughs> 